This audio teaching is provided by Segula.net. You are listening to Session 15, Filled with the Spirit, Part C, from the series, Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit. This session was recorded live at Beit Sur Fellowship. Okay, so we're in the middle of Session 15 on our series on the Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit. Um, this session is entitled Filled with the Spirit. So we've been looking at some different things, uh, talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit, what the Spirit does in us and through us. And uh, so let's just do a bit of a quick review of where we've been. Uh, we started out this session talking about baptism in the Spirit and what that means. Um, because this is a phrase that people use today, but it's also a phrase that's found in Scripture. And we suggested that it, what the Scriptures mean when they use the phrase baptism in the Holy Spirit is not necessarily the same as what people mean when they use it today. So, in the first part, we did a quick look on that. Um, we saw that baptism in the Spirit Uh, is another way of saying filled with the Spirit, right? So when it talks, it's using a metaphor, right? Filled with the Spirit is a metaphor where the Holy Spirit is likened to water and a person is likened to a vessel, and it's like pouring water into a vessel, right? Baptism or immersion in the Spirit is also a metaphor, also using water, except instead it's something being dunked into the water, right? So, but it's a very similar kind of metaphor. Uh, And we saw that there was a historical event in the book of Acts in which the Kehila, the, the assembly of God's people, received the Spirit in stages, which was considered by the apostles to be the, the fulfillment of that promise that Messiah would immerse people in the Spirit, right? Um, so it's a historical event, a corporate event that took place in history, right? But we also saw that all of us as believers participate in that event through faith in Messiah. So even though we weren't there in Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 10 or Acts chapter 8, we we participate in the Holy Spirit. Through faith in Messiah, we are immersed into his spirit as well, right? We saw that Paul talks about that. And we also saw that the Spirit filling us is not just a one-time event, but it's part of a lifelong journey, right? So it's something that continues. We saw how the apostles were filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and in Acts chapter 4, it says they were filled with the Spirit again, right? So it's not just a one-time thing. All right, so in this next part, well, that was in part 1. In part 2, we looked at what the Holy Spirit does in us, right? Specific roles that he plays in our lives as believers. So we had this chart, if you remember from those notes, those of you who are here. So there, there were six main roles or functions of the Holy Spirit that we were looking at. And last time we got up to number four. Um, we were in the middle of number four when we stopped So we're going to keep going with that. Um, So just a a quick recap on all that. Um, 
And by the way, don't put too much weight into this. This is my way of trying to make sense of it in my mind. Um, this isn't meant to be like exhaustive necessarily, but hopefully it's helpful. It, it Hopefully it helps us to kind of visualize what the Holy Spirit does, right? Um, so all of these six in the center column here can be summed up into two primary roles, right? The Holy Spirit draws us to Messiah and the Holy Spirit makes us more like Messiah. So, and, and, and both of those roles are Messiah-centered because the job of the Holy Spirit is to, Yeshua said, he will glorify me, right? The, the Holy Spirit always highlights Messiah. And uh, there's also um, kind of a tense associated with each of these in the life of a believer. So as a believer, um, there was a time in the past where the Holy Spirit convicted us of sin and gave us new birth or regeneration. Um, and then in the present, the Holy Spirit gives us fellowship with God, helps us grow in sanctification and holiness, uh, and empowers us for service. And then in the future, the Holy Spirit will give life um, and we'll take a closer look at that. But there's also a sense in which all of these are present. Um, even though we can separate into past, present, and future, these are all ongoing in the present in some way. Hopefully that'll make sense, um, if it doesn't yet. <laughs> and lastly, um, there's a sense in which we participate in these, in that the Holy Spirit draws us to Messiah and makes us more like Messiah, but then the Holy Spirit empowers us to draw others to Messiah and to help make others more like Messiah. So the Holy Spirit works in us and the Holy Spirit works through us. All right. So last time we were talking about number four, holiness or sanctification. And this is a big one uh, because, I mean, the very name, Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKodesh, Spirit of Holiness, right? He's all about holiness. <laughs> and so that's one of the big roles that he accomplishes in our lives, is helps us grow in holiness and in sanctification. Um, so as believers, as disciples of Yeshua, our job is to grow in holiness, right? And this is something that remains our job our entire lives. We don't ever graduate from it or retire from it in this life, right? Uh, until the day he takes us home, our goal is to become more and more like Yeshua. It's a journey. It's not a destination, right? We can't ever say we've made it and we can stop. We always need to be growing in it, right? It's something that's an ongoing process. And closely connected with this is obedience, right? Growing in holiness and obedience are so intrinsically connected that they're practically synonymous when we're looking at um, how we grow as believers, right? Because becoming more like Messiah, that's what it means to grow in sanctification, is to become more like Messiah. That means we're growing in our obedience too, right? Five times in the Torah, God says, Be holy, for I am holy. Kadoshim tihyeh ki anochi kadosh or something similar to that, right? Be holy, for I am holy. We see that in Leviticus 11, in Leviticus 19, and Leviticus chapter 20. Um, 
So the question is, how is Israel to accomplish that? You know, that's, I mean, that seems like a tough job. How can we ever be holy like God is holy? <laughs> um, I mean, God is infinitely holy. We can never be that holy, right? And yet we're given this task to imitate God in a sense, right? In, in that we're to become more like him in being loving, in being caring, in shining his light in this world, right? So that's something that Israel was given this charge in the Torah to be holy. And the way they would do that is by following Torah, right? That's how we become holy. In, in context, God says, these are the commandments I've laid before you. Be holy as I am holy, meaning follow them, right? We become holy through obedience, through following Torah. So, in other words, Torah and holiness are supposed to go together. When we're not walking in obedience, the Torah doesn't make us holy. It condemns us because we're walking in sin, right? Uh, so it has the role of condemnation, uh, which was born out in Israel's history. We see that in, in, in Israel's history. We see that in the history of our own lives, that when we are, when we have a relationship to the Torah where we are disobeying it, it brings condemnation. Um, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. It says in Ezekiel 36, verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the Holy Spirit writes the Torah on our hearts and gives us both the desire and the ability to follow God's commandments. The moment we put our faith in Yeshua, we're declared righteous, we're justified. But over time, the practical working out of that justification, that righteousness, is what we call sanctification, right? And that's the work of the Spirit. So sanctification is the journey from who we are now to who we will be when we receive our resurrected bodies and our sinful nature is destroyed forever, right? So, in other words, sanctification is really the journey from number one to number six. All right, so that's all mostly by way of review. Um, we're going to jump now into talking about number five, empowerment. Because it doesn't just stop at growing in personal holiness. You know, I said our job as believers is to grow in holiness, but that's only half true. That's only half of our job, <laughs> right? Because growing in holiness, you could say, is, is like inward. We're focusing on our personal development. We're focusing on ourselves, getting better as ourselves. But there's also an outward focus that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, right? So, yes, we're to grow in holiness, but we're also to serve in the calling that God has for us in a way that is others-oriented. You know, we could say, Sanctification is the work of the Spirit in us, while empowerment is the work of the Spirit through us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to fulfill his mission, right? And so this is where the Great Commission comes in, um, the gifts of the Spirit, the specific tasks and callings that God has for each of us. These are all ways that the, you know, the Spirit empowers us to walk in that. So, like I said, the two 
main roles of the Spirit, draw us to Messiah and make us more like Messiah, um, there's a sense in which we participate in those roles, right? The Spirit empowers us to draw people to Messiah. That's missions, evangelism, proclaiming the good news. And the Spirit also empowers us with giftings that are to be used for the benefit of the kekila, the congregation, the assembly of God's people. And they serve to conform believers to the likeness of Yeshua. So in this view, the primary purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is not missions or evangelism, but per se, but rather building up other believers. And this is something we saw when we were looking at the gifts of the Spirit. Let's just want to look at a few passages where Paul kind of says that. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 10. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Messiah, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, but cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Messiah, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul's point here is, um, I guess I could have started in verse 8, where it says, um, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then Paul goes on to elaborate on what those gifts are that he gave. Well, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers. And what's the purpose of these gifts? It is to build up the body for the equipping of the saints in the ministry to grow us to mature manhood. So the point in all this is that Paul is not saying that these gifts are given to go out and reach the lost. Although that it, that's, that's a big role, right? That's, that's an important role and function of the Spirit. But in this context, the gifts are for the building up of the body, right? They're for the equipping of believers rather than for evangelism. Does that make sense? Kind of. Paul kind of says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Um, yeah, I won't go into those right now. But this is why the Kehillah exists. This is why we exist as a body of Messiah rather than as individual, you know, autonomous little bodies of Messiah. <laughs> this is why we're part of something bigger, right? Um, because it's so that we can help one another and be helped by one another to become more Yeshua-like. So growing in sanctification happens in the context of being connected to other members, right? Paul says we are fellow members of one another. We're all interconnected. So salvation and empowerment go hand in hand. God equips us to be able to function together as a body that is for the good of the body, right, as a whole. And God has gifted each one of us uniquely 
and has given each one of us a role to play, right? So he has a special calling for each one of us that's just for me, right? He has a calling for you that is just for you. And, and he's given us giftings and empowerments for that. So, you know, when we've already looked at lots of different examples of God empowering people in the scriptures, right? We've got Bezalel being empowered to construct the tabernacle in Exodus 31. Uh, we've got Joshua being empowered in leadership. Uh, Gideon being empowered in military victory and the other judges. Uh, David being empowered in kingship. All these different examples, right? And we read about all these different kinds of giftings, right? Different gifts, spectacular gifts like you know, miracles, all the way to mundane gifts like helping or giving. You know, those are the gifts of the Spirit that people don't often seek for some reason. <laughs> who, who says, hey, I want, this, I want the gift of giving. But, I mean, Paul's point, though, is that there is no such thing as a mundane gift. We think of it as, well, that's, that sounds kind of boring. That sounds like it's not as spectacular or not as important. But Paul says, no, every gift is important and is needed for the function of the body. So, if God gives you a task, you can rely on him to empower you in that task. Um, we've probably all heard the saying that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. So, he gives us a task and he empowers us for that task. And there's one particular task that stands above all the others and to which every follower of Yeshua is called. And that is to proclaim the good news right? To make disciples from all nations. So yes, we're all gifted differently. Yes, we all have different tasks, different roles, different empowerments, but yet there's one task that we're all called to, right? It's, it's for all of us. We, we don't all have the same role within that task, but we all have a role to play in bringing the good news to all nations. Uh, and we've talked about this in session six, so um, I won't go into that anymore, but so this is the, the empowering work of the Spirit, right? This is, this is a, a major role of the Spirit in our lives as believers, is he empowers us, equips us to fulfill his mission. And finally, number six on our list is life. And this is where we start to get into the future tense, right? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. If Messiah is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this is ultimately talking about the resurrection. Um, just as Yeshua was resurrected, we will experience that same resurrection. And apparently, this is a role of the Holy Spirit. There's other passages that connect the Spirit with life, right? Job 33, verse 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Now, we can, we've already said in a previous session that we can understand that in a general sense, that in a general sense, all human beings are alive because God enables them to be alive, 
God breathed into Adam and he became a living being, right? But there's also a sense in which God places his spirit in those he has called. And that includes disciples of Yeshua, right? And that's, that's where we fit in. John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So the spirit gives life, right? 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So this is the role of the spirit in our lives, that he gives life. And there's, like I said, this is, in a sense, this is future, right? Because ultimately this is talking about the resurrection from the dead when we will be raised to newness of life and receive our resurrected bodies. But there's also a sense in which this is present. There's a sense in which we get a glimpse of this now, even in this life. We get to partake of that life now. Eternal life starts now. It doesn't just start in the world to come. Remember how we talked about some of the miracles and healings and things like that that we see are there are just a little taste of the future. There are a little taste of the kingdom of what, what we will experience then. And his life in us is part of that as well, right? He's come that we may have life and have it to the full. And so we partake in it now, even while we wait for its ultimate fulfillment. All right, so that is kind of a, a summary on, on these six. Uh, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about corporate roles, because so far... Most of these things we've been looking at have been focused on the individual, right? As individual believers, this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. But we could also ask, what is the role of the Spirit on us as a corporate entity, the body of Messiah? What does the Holy Spirit do in mass, right? What does the Holy Spirit do to us uh, as a people? For Paul... The defining characteristic of the kehila, the body of Messiah, is the spirit. It's the spirit that gives life to the kehila. Just like my body without my spirit is dead, so the body of Messiah without the spirit of Messiah is dead. It's his spirit in us that gives us life, that makes us his body, right? It's a common experience with the Holy Spirit that unites us as believers. It's a, and, and it's his spirit that makes us the Kehillah, that defines who we are as the Kehillah. We're all one body by virtue of the spirit, Paul says. And as we saw in session seven, scripture often uses the imagery of us being a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? You are, Paul says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Keep in mind, though, that when Paul says this, the you is plural, and temple is singular, right? So Paul is saying, you all are a temple. Not that we're all individual little temples, but that together, as the body of Messiah, we comprise a temple for the Holy Spirit. So, yes, we can talk about the Spirit dwelling each of us individually, but there's also a sense in which the Spirit dwells the body of Messiah corporately and acts in in certain ways in connection with that. And so as a body of Messiah, his spirit in each of us defines us to be that body. So what roles does the spirit fill in a corporate sense? 
I'm going to suggest four, uh, four primary roles. And again, this is nothing too uh, exhaustive or anything like that. I'm sure we could come up with other roles in addition to these or maybe different ways of categorizing it. But um, yeah, let's talk briefly about each of these. So first of all, the Holy Spirit brings order. Remember Genesis 1 verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And we've already looked at that verse. But there's a sense in which the role of God's Spirit in, in, in creation was to bring order in the midst of chaos, right? His Spirit was overcoming the chaos that was there. And Paul's emphasis on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, he, he emphasizes this concept of be, doing things in order, right? That things should be done orderly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, the last verse says, all things should be done decently and in order. And so uh, this was a big thing for Paul, that he saw the gifts of the Spirit need to be done in a way that is orderly because that's, that's what the Spirit is about, right? So this stands in contrast, perhaps, to some, <laughs> some of the popular ideas in certain circles where this, when the Spirit is present, that's when things get zany. That's when things get kind of unpredictable and, and out of control and, and the wilder, the better, and... Um, I've heard people say, well, you know, wildfire, wildfire is better than no fire at all, and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, so going back to what Paul says, you know, order and structure is supposed to be a characteristic of the Spirit and the working of the Spirit. Because God is not a God of chaos, Right? His creation, you just look at his creation, and it's incredibly minutely and intricately ordered and structured. And also, God's Spirit brings peace, right? Um, with peace, there is order, and there is also unity, which brings us to number two. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So in the scriptures, we see unity is a mark of the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. You can understand that to mean the, the community that we have with one another as a result of the Holy Spirit. Right? We have fellowship with one another because of the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Messiah. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready for it, 
uh, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? In other words, Paul, Paul's saying that the, the fact that there are divisions is evidence of the opposite of the spirit, right? He says, you know, you're not being spiritual here. <laughs> this is not a characteristic of the spirit to bring divisions. Um, also, Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul lists the deeds of the flesh, and he contrasts those with the fruit of the spirit, right? And among the deeds of the flesh, he lists enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of, rain, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. These are all characteristics of the opposite of the Spirit, right? The Spirit brings unity. Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This psalm likens unity. So like, it's like, look at, unity is so great. It's like, and then it compares it to these different things, right? So it compares it to, first of all, anointing oil. The oil of anointing, of high priestly anointing, right? So what does that have to do with unity? Well, remember, we saw a connection between anointing and the spirit, right? The two go hand in hand. And then it likens to the dew of Hermon on the mountains of Zion, which is where the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is talking about the blessings of the world to come, right? When God's mountain will be established as the chief among the mountains and the nations will stream to it and, and his, his Torah will go forth from that mountain, his blessing, his life will go forth from that mountain, right? So, in other words, unity is, is likened to two things. It's likened to anointing, and it's likened to the blessings of the world to come, both of which are connected with the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is connected with both, both of those things. So, so in other words, in a roundabout way, we can say that unity in this psalm is intricately connected with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense, the logic? of that kind of <laughs> okay well we can midrash more about it after but anyway the point is that this is a primary role of the spirit in us as a people is that the spirit will bring unity and so this is why when we have divisions and disagreements about the holy spirit in my opinion this is the epitome of the enemy corrupting what is good and holy. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be what unifies us as believers. And yet the enemy has managed to allow us to turn it into something that causes division, which is really tragic. But yeah, this is something that I think is important, that 
God's Spirit truly at work will bring us together and enable us to work together in unity rather than having all these quarrels and fights and divisions and things like that. All right, number three, truth. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And we talked a little bit about how the Spirit guides us in truth in the context of conviction of sin last time, right? Because when the Spirit convicts us of sin, he's, he's really just revealing the truth to us. The fact that we're sinners, that God is holy, that there's a big gap between us, right? And so, so there's, there's a sense in which, as individuals, we are each guided in God's truth through the Spirit, right? We are, we are led to truth. We are led to a conviction of truth through the Holy Spirit. But I'd like to suggest that this is also a corporate role of the Spirit, and that perhaps the, you know, this applies in a corporate sense even, even more so. Uh, in in this, this verse that we read, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And there's other passages in uh, John uh, 15, 16, where Yeshua talks about how the spirit will remind you of what I have said. He will remind you of my words, um, bring to your remembrance the things that I have taught you. And I think one of the primary ways that this has played out in history was that the disciples were empowered to teach about Yeshua and to remember the, the things that he taught and to convey his teachings and ultimately to have them written down in the scriptures that we have today. That's how come we have the Gospels. That's how come we have these accounts of Yeshua's life and his teachings is because the Holy Spirit worked to ensure that these were remembered and that they were recorded truthfully for us, right? But I think there's also a sense in which this is ongoing, right? This is a role, it didn't stop with the apostles. The Holy Spirit continues to guide us in truth. But notice that in this verse, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The word you there is plural, and the word truth is singular, right? So he doesn't guide us each into our own individual truths or a variety of truths, right? There's one truth, and he guides all of us together into that, right? And, and into all of it, all, tr all, all of the truth, right? Not all truths, but all of the truth. All this to say that I, I believe there's a sense in which this guiding into truth happens on a corporate level where together, as a people, God is able to lead us into truth, and that no one of us has the corner on truth, right? None of us can say, I've got it all cased, and I don't need anyone else. We need each other in this, right? This is why we're meant to be a body working together, because we need each other as we pursue his truth. Uh, now, please don't take all this the wrong way, because... A person could run with this and go to an extreme that would be, in my opinion, bad by saying, well, that means that God has given the church the authority to decide what is truth. 
right? And uh, we have to just listen to whatever the church says, the authorities say, right? The institutional church. Um, I'm not saying that, and I don't think that the Bible anywhere supports that. So, you know, there, there are times where we have to go upstream a little bit in pursuing God's truth. But I don't think it's a healthy place to be when we're isolated from everyone, right? God's, God's desire and his design for us as followers of Yeshua is to be connected to one another and to be able to pursue truth together, right? So just like with order and unity, God's plan is for us to be part of something bigger than just ourselves, this beautiful and spotless kahila. All right, number four, life. And remember, we saw that that exists on the individual level. The Holy Spirit will bring life to our mortal bodies in the resurrection, and he brings life to us now, even in this world. But this is also something that happens on a corporate level, right? Just like my body without my spirit is dead, so the body of Messiah without the spirit of Messiah is dead. It's his spirit that breathes life into us as a people, as a body. And this also relates to the topic of revival. Because there are times when God's spirit works in large groups of people and mass, right? And we see examples of this in the scripture where God does this. And Abba Willing will talk more about that in a future session. So let's, let's try and wrap all this up here. With what we've looked at, you know, the, the spirit is an essential part of what it means to be a believer. He's part of our salvation. He's part of our ongoing journey of sanctification. And he's part of our future, right? It's all tied in. And um, like we saw, you can't be in Messiah and not have the spirit, right? You can't be, the moment we put our faith in Messiah, he comes and dwells in us through his spirit. You can't have Yeshua in your heart and not have the spirit in your heart. That's how he dwells in our heart, is through his spirit, right? But at the same time, we can't take his spirit in our, his spirit's presence in our lives for granted, right? Just because I have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that I'm walking in the fullness of the Spirit. All this that we've talked about so far is great and all. But the question is, are we seeing this in our lives? Right? It's fine and dandy to say, yeah, the Holy Spirit, well, he gives you life. He empowers you. He grows you in sanctification. He does this and that. He brings unity. He brings order. But what if you don't even, what if you're not seeing that in your life? Because if we're not seeing this happen in our lives, then what's our point in talking about this? We're wasting our time, right? It's great to study it, but are we experiencing it? Because this is meant to be something that's lived out, right? It's, it's meant to be something real and tangible that we experience. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Right? Are we growing in unity and truth? Are we growing in holiness and power? So, again, I believe we, we can't take the Spirit's presence in our lives for granted. Because, um, well, I think the scriptures are clear that disobedience and rebellion 
distance us from God, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 63, verse 10. Let's take a quick look at that. And then we'll look at where Paul quotes that verse. Isaiah 63, uh, it says in verse 10, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flocks? Uh, Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Now, this passage is significant for a couple reasons. One is because there's only one other place in the Tanakh where the term Holy Spirit is used. It's only found three times. It's found twice here, verse 10 and verse 11. And then it's found in Psalm 51. So Paul quotes this in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Right? So what is it that grieves God's Spirit? It's when we rebel against him, right? It's sin that grieves his Spirit. I want to compare that with Psalm 51, which is, like I said, the only other place in the Tanakh where the term Holy Spirit is used. Usually it says Spirit of the Lord or Spirit of God, but there's these three places where it uses the phrase Ruach HaKodesh, or in, in this context it's Ruach Kadshacha, your, your Holy Spirit. Um, but first, if, if you remember, we talked about the Holy Spirit in the life of King Saul and the Holy Spirit in the life of King David. And what happened to Saul, right? Saul was given the kingship. It said the spirit came upon him. He prophesied. All these things happened to him, right? He was filled with God's spirit. He mustered the troops together. He was this king that was empowered with God's spirit. And then what happened? He did, was not faithful. He did not continue steadfastly following God. He rebelled against God. He sinned. And it says... The Holy Spirit left Saul, right? The verse we read where it says the Holy Spirit rushed upon David, the very next verse says the Holy Spirit had left Saul. So then we get to Psalm 51, which is when Nathan the prophet went to David after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is David's prayer of repentance. And he says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. David knows what happened to Saul. And David's prayer and his plea is that this would not happen to him, that God would not take his Holy Spirit away from him because of his sin. He responded with repentance when he was confronted about his sin rather than defiance and rebellion. You know, we can look at other examples like Samson. Look at what happened to him. God's spirit was empowering him to do mighty deeds of strength and he rebelled against God and he lost it. The spirit left, right? So we can't presume to walk in our own ways stubbornly and have God empowering us right? We can't expect God to empower us to do our will. God empowers us to do his will. 
We need to submit ourselves to him. We need to surrender control of our lives to him. And this is what it really means to declare that Yeshua is Lord. It means that not only is he the king of the universe, but he's the king of my life. It means he calls the shots. He gets to have control. The extent to which we're surrendered to God in every area of our life is the extent to which he can use us and work through us by his spirit. So in order to be a vessel that he can fill, we have to be empty of selfishness, selfishness and self-will. You know, I think a lot of people just want a non-invasive religion, right? They want a faith that fulfills their emotional, spiritual needs, but yet allows them to live their own life. But they don't understand that God is our life. We need to be willing to make the changes that he needs us to make, right? If we're serious about following him, we need to put him first and make him priority in our lives, and we can't let anything else come first. The more we pursue our own pursuits, the more we are left to our own devices. We can't simply add God to our already planned out life. We can't just live our own lives and ask God to bless it. We're called to be a bondservant of Yeshua, right? Which means he's the one in charge. He's our master. He's the one that decides what we do and don't do. And so the question I need to ask myself is, is there any territory in my heart that has not been surrendered to Yeshua's kingship? And we can't stop until every last piece of our hearts and our lives are surrendered over to him. How many of us want more of God's spirit in our lives? I, I think we all do, right? <laughs> Who doesn't? And like I said, I don't believe being filled with the spirit is just a one-time thing. Because we're leaky vessels. <laughs> we need to be filled again and again. And so I think the first step is always acknowledging our need. Acknowledging that apart from him, we can do nothing. Right? And then secondly, we need to submit ourselves completely to him. We need to confess anything that's in the way, and we need to ask in faith, believing that he answers our prayers. Right? Ask him to fill us. Ask him to empower us to do his will. And then finally, we need to trust and believe that he has answered our prayers. It's not always a big spectacular thing. But we can walk in faith and confidence that his spirit dwells within us and that he is faithful, right? Even when we're not faithful, he is faithful. How amazing is that? <laughs> so, finally, let's remember that this is a journey. It's not a destination. It's not something where you're like, I've got, I've attained it. I'm there. I don't need to worry about this Holy Spirit thing anymore because now, now I'm filled, now I've done my duty. No, it's, it's an ongoing relationship, right? Where we are constantly submitting the throne of our lives over to his kingship. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for sending your spirit to dwell in our hearts. And I ask, Father, that you would convict us and reveal any areas in our lives where we have not submitted ourselves completely to you and to your kingship.
I ask that you would root out from our hearts anything that is in the way between us and you. And Father, I ask that you would fill us and that you would empower us for the roles and the tasks that you have called each one of us to, and that together as a body we can fulfill your mission for us. Thank you for your word, and thank you for this time we can have together. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio teaching. The goal of Segula is to cast a vision for a healthy and mature Messianic Torah movement. This series of teachings on the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is made possible through the help of our ministry partners and supporters. For more information about this ministry, please visit www.segula.net. May the Father richly bless you as you seek Him, and together may we all become a glorious people in Messiah.